Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Ryan Gorl. Ryan is the founder of Gspire Group, a professional services firm that provides fractional corporate development services to companies who desire to grow through mergers and acquisitions. He's a certified merger and acquisition professional, and throughout his career has helped hundreds of companies in various roles that was focused on providing advisory and consultative services. He brings a business owner perspective to his service offering as a partner of a business himself. Thanks so much for joining me today, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, thrilled to have you here. So I'm wondering if you would explain to the listeners uh, what you um, mean by corporate development. Sure. You know, corporate development, um, even this few years as two to three years, I didn't know what really what it was. Um, but in the development of this business plan, uh, you know, I, in my research, I came across this, the term corporate development. Um, and it, it really fit with what I was doing. Um, even though it's somewhat of an oxymoron when uh, dealing with smaller businesses, mm-hmm. it's not a term that, um, is readily thrown around, uh, but as part of this business, I, I'm taking it upon myself to just try to bring clarity on what that function is. And uh, it's a corporate development really is a function that most bigger companies have. They have entire departments that are solely responsible for uh, helping that company go out and source and close on mergers and acquisitions on behalf of the company. And, um, you know, these are larger companies that are doing a lot of transactions so they can uh, afford the resources for an entire department. And in my work over my career is helping small businesses grow through acquisitions. Um, I noticed that there's no one really helping, you know, business owners with this transaction or with this growth plan. And I paired the two and said, well, why not? Why can't we bring this function of corporate development to smaller businesses and help them essentially do the same thing? You know, have someone go out and help them grow through acquisitions. And, you know, with smaller businesses not having a ton of resources um, for entire departments, that was the, the genesis of creating a fractional executive business model uh, to be able to help them. Such a great idea because you're, you're so right. They, they, if a small company decides it wants to grow through acquisition or through merger, it, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily have the bandwidth as you say, right? It doesn't have the people, it doesn't have the ability. So I would imagine that would be so much harder 
to do successfully because there's that lack of knowledge, you know, about what to watch out for, what to pay attention to and all, all of those things and really time consuming. Exactly. The, the two things that, um, you know, I'm working, I typically find myself solving for is business owners that I'm working with typically are owner operators, mm -hmm. really, really good operators. Um, and really good operators tend to be in their business, working with their employees, working with their customers, putting out fires, um, truly operating, which creates a uh, situation where they don't have time to think about or even put into play uh, a growth strategy that involves, you know, going out and sourcing and analyzing and negotiating and doing due diligence and closing on target acquisitions. It's just that they don't have the time. And what I've also found is most of my clients haven't done a, a very serious transaction before, you know, buying a company that, you know, let's just say is somewhat equal to their size is a big transaction. And, yeah. um, you know, it's so capacity and know-how is, is what I really am trying to deliver. Um, because you're right. They, there's, there's just a lack of capacity to go out and it basically closes off an entire growth. You know, if you look at a business, you can grow organically through effective sales strategies, or you can, and, or you can grow through inorganic growth through acquisitions. A lot of smaller businesses, which I define as, you know, somewhere in that 5 million revenue up to 50, um, you know, they close off an entire growth strategy because of the capacity and know-how. And, you know, my passion and why I'm doing this is I want to see these smaller businesses grow into sustainable, nice, larger size companies. And I think an inorganic strategy is not for everybody, um, but there's a lot of companies that could benefit from it. And um, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure it is. <laughs> it makes me, you know, feel like, oh my gosh, no way. But, um, but let's talk about what some of the benefits are of growing through uh, a merger or an acquisition for a small, smaller company. Yeah. So every, every company is very unique in why a acquisition could make sense to them. Okay. But oftentimes I see, you know, some of my clients right now are, they're growing, they, they're executing a, an acquisition strategy uh, for talent reasons, for, for example. So oh. we have labor um, challenges in a lot of industries right now, finding retaining good talent is tough. Um, so one of the strategies of acquiring a, a, a competitor or merging with a competitor is to acquire that talent to build capacity within the, the operations of the company. So labor um, is one uh, benefit if, if that kind of fits the business model. The other um, other thing I see oftentimes is let's say these smaller businesses have a big customer and that big customer moves into a different geography and they've got a good relationship. Um, you know, the business does a really good job for this bigger customer and the bigger customer would love to use them, but 
you know, for whatever reason, maybe needs somebody, uh, some operation near them in this new geography. Um, well, you know, you can do it organically if you want to set up a, a new shop, you know, in a new state, for, for example. Um, but sometimes it can make sense to go into that market and acquire a similar company and be able to, to grow with your kind of big uh, customer. So you see some geographical uh, strategies. And then the other ones, you know, are more commonly talked about, you know, if you can go out and uh, acquire a supplier, for example, you're able to, you know, improve some of your margins um, by owning, you know, your main supplier. And then the other one that's really relevant in a couple of industries I'm working with is, you know, technology is so rapidly uh, being adopted and, and growing as a, a force for competitiveness for a lot of these smaller businesses. And you can, you know, yes, you can adopt and change processes and adopt technology within your own business. And that oftentimes is, it makes a lot of sense, but sometimes you can see buying a company that's already adopted said technology that, um, would allow you to uh, take advantage of what's already established and um, instead of doing it all in-house. So those are just a couple um, things that come off the top of my head as kind of some of the benefits of, of growing through, through acquisitions. And the, the one that, one more, if you don't mind, you know, that in the small, especially in the small business space, and this is why I chose this market, um, on top of capacity challenges is smaller business have, businesses have a unique characteristic in that um, making some acquisitions, assuming that you integrate and they're successful um, can really enhance the value of the business. And, you know, I use it as an example and it's probably over, over talked about, but it's an easy one to kind of understand Let's say you have a, uh, an HVAC company or a hardwood flooring company that does 10 million in sales and a million of EBITDA or cash flow. If we can go out, that company probably is worth, let's say there's a three or four times multiple of cash flow, which is how these companies are typically valued. Uh, one, one of the ways they're, they're valued. So let's say that company is worth $4 million dollars. If we can go out and make a couple acquisitions and get them up to, let's say, 20 million in revenue and 2 million of EBITDA, um, that multiple expands from four to maybe even six. So just from the sheer size of the business, um, that, that company becomes more valuable. And, you know, it's, it's a function of, you know, there's a lot of buyers looking for, you know, $2 million cash flow businesses. Um, they're deemed less risky just due to the nature of the size. You've got to be somewhat professionalized operations and people, um, and customer diversification, et cetera, that, you know, drives up that valuation. But that could be one of the reasons why a small business would want to look at growing through an acquisition is, is that value enhancement. Um, if, for example, if they were prepping to sell in the next, what, five, 10 years, um, you know, it could be an effective value enhancer. Interesting. Thanks for adding that. That that's very interesting. That what, what's in one of the things that's interesting for me is um, 
that one I, I would have thought of some of the others that you mentioned make perfect sense to me, but I wouldn't necessarily have thought of them, you know, like for talent or um, geography. That that was really interesting and a very, it's a really valuable way to sort of expand your thinking about what could you do with, um, you know, if you were going to consider merging or acquiring a company. So it's very interesting. Now, what are some of the main challenges of making this decision and going down this road? There, there's plenty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's plenty, but I would say that you know some some of the initial challenges of um, going down this path is you know, and I do a lot of this work up front is you know understanding why the company wants to do an acquisition. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into making it a reality. So we want to make sure that their their purpose and their why is um, appropriate for this exact strategy. Yeah. And you'd be surprised on how many why I'm saying it's a challenge is sometimes the vision of these smaller businesses and even larger businesses for that matter, you'd be surprised how muddy the vision is of what does three to five years look like. And yeah, we don't have a crystal ball, but you know, some directional clarity. Um, so I spent a lot of time just refining strategy up front because a merger and acquisition strategy should fit nicely into the overall growth strategy, not the other way around. So um, there's, there's some of those challenges that forces, my clients are forced to clarify their vision and that can be, you know, a, a challenging but rewarding and effective um, effort. And then the other pieces that um, are challenging is, I mean, sourcing a, a sourcing the right deal is a big lift. It's a, it's a lot of effort. Um, so assuming that you have clarity on the types of companies that you want that would be a good fit, you know, let's say the universe of, you know. HVAC companies in a certain geography is a hundred or, you know, 50 to a hundred, you know, making contact, um, learning about their business, having them respond, and then getting to a place where, yeah, they are willing to sell. Um, that process can be, you know, it can take some time. It takes relationship building. It takes picking up the phone, calling, introducing yourself, building relationships, um, and I think what I label that as a challenge, not in the effort that's associated with it. It's more about the patience level of the business owner, um, being patient that the deal may not happen in the first six months or even 12 months for that matter. The right deal might take years. And, you know, some of the challenges are associated with wanting to do it faster and, this type of transaction shouldn't be done. Um, it's not. It's not something that should be just a light switch just turned on. And you go make an acquisition. Um, well, oftentimes, you know, those types of things are the wrong fit. So I, I would say that that outreach is is challenging. And then, you know, um, you know, assuming you find a target, you know, there's always challenges in negotiating the right purchase price, the right deal structure. Um, understanding the due diligence, where all the risks are, you know, those are um, not, not challenges that can't be overcome, but they're, you know, it's, it's work to work through. And then the last one, which is 
is I would say the hardest part. You do all of that work and now you have to integrate companies. So you got oh. one, you got to mash, I say mash, I hate using that word, but it is, you're putting two companies together. Yeah. You've got culture and you got people and it's emotional and you got systems that you're trying to, so there is a lot of stuff that has to go into that integration process. And the integration is where the money and the value is made. It, you know, there's no value created during the due diligence and sourcing process. It's it, the value is created by effectively integrating the two companies into one. And, um, you know, that's, you know, again, not over, it's not something that can't be overcome. It just needs, it just takes deliberate thought and focus to, to be able to address them. It really does. You know, I wrote an article a while ago um, called, and it was something like um, mergers and acquisitions or earthquakes. Because from my perspective, I see so many companies that don't go through a, a good enough process of that integration. So they end up making the whole experience much more difficult and stressful for everyone involved than would necessarily you know, have to be if you know, they were thinking about it from the moment they decided this was something they thought they were going to want to do and created a plan and a strategy for making sure that they were really folding these, you know, two entities together. It's, it's hard. And one of the functions of why it's hard is the, you know, going through the due diligence process and transacting, doing the actual mechanics of buying a company is hard enough. You're dealing with banks and, third-party providers and you're dealing with a seller and trying to get information and trying to make sense of that information, you got timelines. So you may have uh, initially promised the seller, we, we're going to try to close in 90 days or 120 days. You have all this pent up pressure around just getting inks, you know, ink on the paper. Yeah. And you don't, you, you, a lot of companies where, where to your point where they falter is they don't, even work on the integration plan until they have the keys to the business. And that by, in my opinion, it's too late. Yeah, I agree. So you need to be doing integration planning in addition to the due diligence. Yeah. And that's where the resources and the capacity and the help can be very valuable because it's hard to do all that with right. one or two people, you know, assuming you have that many people helping, you know, these, these smaller companies, um, so that integration is a, is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally with you on that. My name is Cindy Burnett and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast thoughts from a page. We talk spoiler free about their books so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, 
but my life. Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics and hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts. And let's talk about um, mindset and the role that it plays for the business owner when, when they're you know looking to grow through M and A. Yeah, mindset is so so important, and you know I, I think mindset could be a cliche kind of topic, but I I love it because it's so applicable to. Um, going through the work to make an acquisition, it's work and it's risk. So it's not like just you're going to go out and hire a salesperson to drive growth by 10% next year. You know, that's, you know, that's got its own challenges and risk, but here's, you know, you might be buying, uh, you know, spending two or $3 million on a company to buy, you know, the, right. the stakes are just a different level. And for someone to, you know, courageously go down that path, their mindset needs to be, you know, fixed, not fixed in a certain way, but it's, it's got to have an orientation. And I like to use the word growth mindset um, a lot, even though I, it can be overused, but it's, you know, knowing why you're doing it will allow you to go through all of the challenges that are required to have a successful transaction. If the mindset is, you know, I like to, I just want to be able to tell people I did an acquisition because I think it sounds, you know, successful or yeah, how hard can it be? This thing's just, you know, I know the business is, you know, this is a, should be a pretty simple thing or, um, you know, that kind of thinking will make the transaction a harder to execute on. And, and in my opinion, a lower probability of success versus, you know, I want to go make an acquisition because I want to serve my clients better. I want to provide employment opportunities to my current staff and move them into leadership positions. And I personally want to move out of the operations and more into a C-level, uh, you know, a CEO seat where I get to spend more time working on strategy instead of in the day-to-day. -day. Um, you know, those are all really good whys that, um allow for that growth mindset to, you know, you know, kick into gear when all of the stuff feels like it's hard and you're doing it for the right reasons. And that's, you know, that to me is what that effective mindset would, you know, uh, looks like with, you know, acquisitive, you know, small business leadership teams. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really, really valuable. Um, what, so a small business owner and they're thinking about, should I make this decision to grow through either, you know, merger or an acquisition? What are the considerations that they should take into account when they're trying to just make the decision about whether they should go down this road? 
Yeah, I think it's it's a number of it's it's a a good analysis on the status their status of their business and their industry and their competitiveness within their industry. Um, you know, there's you know, for example, if you have a small business that has, well, we can use an example. So let's say we have a small business who um, desires to sell in the next five years. And um, their top three customers make up 70 or 80% of their revenue. Um, You know, that might be a consideration. You know, can I go acquire a business to diversify my revenue? Because when I'm going to go look to sell this business, a buyer may look at the customer concentration as a huge risk and may not either be willing to buy me or the, the value would be, you know, significantly lower than what I want. Yeah. So it's, it's certain things that are, you know, certain makeups of the business as it relates to their industry would be, you know, a place to start, you know, is there, you know, and I usually start with what are the challenges and weaknesses of your business? You know, we all have them, you know, no one's perfect. There's no perfect business out there, but let's start with what are the things that are super frustrating? What are the things that don't seem to be working very well? What things are, do you feel vulnerable uh, when you, you know, maybe it's keeping you up at night, that type of, those types of questions might inform you to go, well, does an acquisition make sense to fill some of these weaknesses or to shore up some of our strengths or to uh, satisfy, uh, eliminate some of our vulnerabilities? I think that process would be incredibly valuable as a place to start. And then if, you know, an acquisition could be a solution for some of that, then, then it might be a, you know, might be worth taking extra steps to learn more about what that could look like. Uh, but I would start with, you know, those weaknesses. And then conversely, it's, you know, knowing your competitive landscape, you know, are you, you know, is it, are you losing, you know, a good amount of business for certain reasons that, you know, you could fix through, you know, combining with another company, you know, whether that's pricing, which may suggest going, you know, into a vertical integration or acquisition and buying a supplier or, you know, buying a company that offers a complimentary service. You know, I talk about this too. Is there a, is there a company you're constantly referring business to? that you don't do, but your customers are constantly asking for. And, you know, is, is, is that another way to diversify what you offer your clients? Um, so it's really, you know, it, it's, it's an introspection of the leadership of that company in what their business, the, sta- the status of their business, their health of their business, and what, what things could be, um, you know, strengthened and you, once you do that analysis, you can go two ways. You can go, can we fix this internally? Um, yes, you could, you know, or is there, you know, there's multiple benefits of acquiring a company. We've talked about a couple of them and maybe this, this would be another checkbox into the, the camp of maybe an acquisition makes a ton of sense. Okay. Um- Having said all of that, 
can you talk some about like what the capital environment looks like for a company that's <laughs> I mean, you know, this is such an interesting time to be talking about this, but uh, you know, if they want to finance it, what's going on out there? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you're right, um right now is a tough time to talk about that because things have changed so fast. Yeah. Um, but I would say that most of these acquisitions, um, you know, there's a few things that are kind of the big muscle movements that dictate capital. And, you know, a lot of these business owners don't want to sell equity. So they don't want to go raise equity to make these transactions happen, which a lot of times I agree with, um, whether they don't want to or don't have access to equity capital, a lot of times they're looking to banks, looking to lenders to come in and, and leverage the transaction. And in, in that world, you know, you have two really kind of major options. You, you can go down a conventional loan route um, or a lot of these transactions, if they're under, you know, call it 10 million or less, and that's transaction size. Um, a lot of these are financed through SBA supported loan programs that, you know, banks participate in. And the reason why most of these will fall into an SBA camp is a lot of times these transactions, because they're valued on a multiple of cash flow. So take our HVAC company that's a million dollars of EBITDA. Um, you know, you know, if you were going to go buy that company for four million dollars, you know, that company typically doesn't have the assets to back a three point five million dollar loan. You know, it's you're buying a stream of cash flow versus really buying specific assets like a piece of real estate. So because of the mechanisms of that you end up with uh, an acquisition that doesn't have enough collateral for a bank. And that's problematic for most banks. So most banks with their, if they have a shortfall of collateral, they immediately go, okay, well, can SBA help us mitigate that risk? And depending on the bank you're talking to, oftentimes it can. And, um, you know, that SBA loan process, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of, good um, good reasons to look at SBA loan for these transactions. One of them being you can get into a transaction up, you know, as, as little and not to say this is always and not, I don't always advise max leverage by any stretch, but the SBA loan program does allow up, up to 90% leverage or 10% equity into a transaction. So that's technically allowed. So you're a small business that may not have a ton of cash laying around because you've invested in your business. The SBA can allow you to um, buy a business with you know, pretty minimal equity into the transaction. So that's one of the benefits. And another benefit of that program is you, know, you can buy a business on a 10-year amortization schedule. And that's pretty friendly from a cash flow perspective. You know, paying a loan over ten years versus you know, if you were going to go get a conventional loan, you know, it might be five years. 
you know, so double the loan payments, roughly speaking, um, which, you know, is coming out of the business and impairing the cash flow that's available for you, for you as the owner. So the, those are kind of, that's the kind of the capital environment. Now, the environment itself, I think over the last five years is there are, there's been plenty of appetite with banks wanting to use SBA for these transactions. Uh, it's, it's been a great time to be going to, to do this, uh, this transaction. Now, going forward, as we enter a recession, could that change? Yeah, it, it probably will. And the changes to be ready for if I'm a business owner looking to make an acquisition, I don't necessarily think a bank would, you know, they'll be a little bit more hesitant because they want to see how a recession plays out for this specific business. And one of the, one of the things that they typically will do is, you know, require more equity. So instead of 10% and maybe 20 or 30%. Um, so that might be just something to think about as, as, as uh, you prepare for going down this route is just making sure you have a, a additional liquidity and, and available equity um, because banks during a recession may, may require a little bit more equity just to create a, a lower risk profile for them. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I, I, I could see that. I mean, that's, that's sort of right now happening with everything, right? I mean, the cost of everything's going up. So why wouldn't this as well? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a cost of borrowing money. So um, I, I so appreciate this, uh, Ryan. This has been so interesting. And I mean, I've learned so much about this whole concept, um, which means the listeners have as well. So thank you so much for joining me and sharing this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's, I, I think this is such a fun conversation and um, it just, it's, uh, it's all about growth and creating you know, long-term sustainable businesses. So I, I, I just appreciate the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. And will you share with the listeners how they can find you? Sure. Uh, my website has all my contact information. It's uh, www.gspiregroup.com. Um, I'm also pretty active, or I'm trying to be as active as I can on Twitter um, and LinkedIn. Pretty accessible uh, that way. And then my email is just ryan, R-Y-A-N, at gspiregroup.com. And uh, that's how you can get hold of me. Excellent. Well, as I said, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. 
This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.